0: My topic this evening is your spiritual workout. As I look around this room, I see a fit group of people. I wonder how many of you run, power walk, do yoga, swim laps, bike to work, lift free weights, play ultimate frisbee, Watch and use exercise videos. If you do, your bodies are firm and well-toned, muscles taut and well-defined, respiration deep and efficient. You have stamina for lengthy physical challenges. Your immune systems resist infection. But even if the answer to all my questions is no, 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 and no, Even if you're a slob like me, who never met an exercise routine I couldn't grow to loathe, and generally sits down when I get the impulse to exercise, even so you've just experienced the Olympic Games and seen the results of years of conditioning. Even so you are aware that all the fall sports teams at nearby colleges are training hard, getting ready for a competitive season, in football, soccer, cross-country, or field hockey. Has it ever occurred to you that as a Christian, you are supposed to spend at least as much time and effort training your spirit as you do your body? That there are spiritual exercises for the people of God just as vital as your physical workouts? And if you are not here tonight as a follower of Jesus but as someone seeking God and exploring the Christian faith, our topic may clarify for you the difference between a nominal Christian and someone who can really be trusted to tell you something about what it's like to have a relationship with God through his son Jesus. Consider with me our first lesson, the story of Jacob. Jacob the supplanter who forced the sale of his older brother's birthright and then cheated him of their father's blessing. Twenty years earlier, Jacob had fled from Esau's wrath, but now he returns a changed man. He too has been cheated by his father-in-law Laban, cheated twice in fact, and leaves Laban's household secretly and without permission. He now returns home with two wives and 11 sons, fearing the reception he will get from his brother. He is not reassured by the news that Esau is headed his way with 400 armed men. And he sends his wives and children to safety to face his destiny alone. Yet years before, Jacob had dreamed And his dream was a vision of God's promise to bless and protect him. Can Jacob still trust that promise in these circumstances? That's a question that you and I face on a daily basis. In our narrative, Jacob encounters and wrestles with someone all night, refusing to give in, even though his opponent puts Jacob's hip out of joint. At daybreak, he demands a blessing before he will let his opponent go, and Jacob receives the blessing of God, for God is his opponent, as it turns out. He names the place Peniel, the face of God, for Jacob has seen the face of God up close and personal and lived. This all night wrestling with God, is it unique to Jacob? Or is his experience intended to be a model for us in our relationship to God? I think it's the latter. For it's not just Jacob, but the whole people of God who are to be known by the name he receives that day, Israel. He who strives, wrestles with God. And was this event just a dream or vision like Jacob's earlier experience of seeing the ladder to heaven with angels ascending and descending? Or was it an actual space time event, man to man, muscle against muscle, face to face? Jacob's lameness will remind him for the rest of his life that it was no dream. And his descendants, the Israelites, remember their, this history we read by refraining from eating the tendon attached to the socket of the hip when they roast a lamb or a goat. But for us, the application is not so much a physical bout with the divine as a struggle to trust him in situations of grave danger and uncertainty when our sins and mistakes have overtaken us. To wrestle and prevail in obtaining God's blessing, with strength to face up to the consequences of our own past sins, requires three things skill, strength, and stamina. Without that last, stamina, even the most skillful and strong wrestler, may be overpowered by a wily opponent who waits him out. Jacob has stamina. Jacob is blessed. Jacob becomes Israel. In our reading from 1 Corinthians, Paul is also speaking of spiritual stamina. Chapter 9 focuses on the rights and duties of an apostle, the right to be accompanied by a wife, the right to be supported in preaching the gospel. But both rights Paul refuses to claim, remaining celibate and earning his living as a tent maker in order to present no stumbling block becoming as he says all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some it's not an easy life Paul's life especially considering the hit squad that followed him city to city to turn the synagogue against him and to manipulate the Roman authorities into arresting him how does Paul do it Well, he's writing to the Corinthians, and Corinth, as you may know, was the site of the biannual Isthmian Games, second only in importance to the Olympic Games. So Paul chooses the metaphor of the runner and the road race to describe what following Jesus requires of himself and of us, even if we are not apostles. Like a runner who's training to win, Paul exercises self-control, disciplining the passions of the flesh to live a life of faithful obedience and gain not a laurel wreath that will wither, but life eternal. In our Gospel reading, Jesus is challenging the shallow commitment and superficial understanding of the large crowds that follow him. To be his disciple requires us to put aside the restraints and demands of our family of origin subordinating them to the claims of the gospel. We also must disregard our own safety and reputation, sacrificing the autonomy of self on the cross of unconditional surrender to Jesus. So count the cost, he says, before you follow me. He tells two illustrative parables. First about the man whose tower is unfinished because he lacked the resources to complete it. Second, the king who rushes into battle with one half the forces of his enemy and must make an ignominious peace because he is overwhelmed. Jesus concludes, So therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Pure salt is good to flavor, to season, to preserve foods. Adulterated salt is worthless, no more than refuse. So apparently is a disciple of Jesus who fails to understand the nature of the commitment required of him. Like seed sown in rocky soil, he will not persevere under the scorching sun of adversity. So how do we gain the spiritual stamina to wrestle all night like Jacob to obtain finally the only true blessing which is the vision of God? How do we, like Paul, train ourselves to win the race and obtain the prize in our own Christian walk? How do we, as Jesus challenges us, comprehend the cost of discipleship, stop fooling around with God, and begin to train our spirits as carefully and persistently as we condition our bodies? I'm going to suggest five activities to comprise your spiritual workout. For many of you, these will seem very familiar, but my point in mentioning them this afternoon is not to surprise, much less entertain you, but to remind you with the hope that you will inventory your own life to see whether and to what extent these activities are a part of it. For you seekers, these activities are equally useful as a well-worn path to the saving knowledge of God. First, know the story. Make daily Bible reading and meditation a part of your life. Read slowly and reflect on what you read. Ask God to speak to you through the reading, to apply a promise or an example or a warning in the reading to your own situation. A good study Bible will help you with context and meaning. Now, not all the parts of the Bible are equally useful for this kind of devotional study. Ask Mark or me if you would like suggestions as to a program to follow. Jesus defeated the tempter with the Word of God. Could you? Second, share your spiritual journey. Are there other Christians, or at least a Christian, with whom you meet on a regular basis to share your lives, to support and encourage one another, to whom you are, in some sense, accountable. Spiritual direction can be helpful, as can prayer partners, but a neighborhood group of seven to ten can offer the variety of life situations and experiences that strengthen mutual support. And mutual support is the heart of fellowship. Third, commit to a ministry. You may be thinking, well, I help when I can and where it's needed. That's not what I mean, and it's not enough. Ministry is an intentional activity done for God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that continues the work of Jesus. An intentional activity done for God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that continues the work of Jesus. It is based in prayer, shared and encouraged by your Christian brothers and sisters, and advancing the gospel by word or deed or both. In assessing and responding situationally, in your commitment to ministry, you will learn invaluable lessons about yourself and about God and you will begin to bear fruit and you will begin to toughen spiritually fourth become an inviting Christian that is one who on occasion tells people about your faith in Jesus and suggests that he might help them too I say on occasion because I'm not talking about a program of outreach to a target population that is the calling of an evangelist but about the willingness and availability of every Christian to confess Christ whenever and wherever the opportunity arises. Now, if your honest self-assessment at this moment in time is, I'm not an inviting Christian, then consider which of the four C's you lack. Confidence? It's something I can't do. Compassion? You know, I really don't care. Content. Well, what would I say? Or contact. These witness situations the preacher talks about just don't arise. These four activities, daily Bible study and meditation, fellowship, ministry, and witness, are nurtured by and depend upon the fifth, This activity answers the question, whose life are you living? Do you own yourself, or do you belong to another? The fifth activity is listening prayer. When you pray, it is important, even necessary, to consider and confess your sins, to thank God for what he has done, and praise him for who he is, To ask Him for your needs and intercede for the needs of others. But when all that is done, will you sit in silence awaiting God's response? It's not easy to do, to sit, to wait, to listen. The day's duties intervene, memory brings up things overlooked. The imagination drifts away into fantasy. The will is restless wanting to get on with the day's challenges. But if you will wait, God will speak. Perhaps not audibly, but through inner conviction, or sudden inspiration, or a settled feeling of peace and love. Or his answer may come later in the events of the day or the council of friends that you encounter train yourself to listen for god to listen to god to say here i am lord what have you for me to do speak lord for your servant heareth out of the listening prayer you will receive guidance for ministry opportunities for witness effectiveness in building fellowship, and lasting applications from scripture study. So I suggest these five activities pursued systematically should comprise your spiritual workout. But make no mistake, I'm not preaching salvation by works of the law. This is not the new legalism. As Paul puts it, you and I are saved by grace through faith and not by doing these five activities on a regular basis. So, what purpose do they serve if they are not mandatory in the ultimate sense of that word? These activities, if not mandatory, are necessary to make real for you the promise in our psalm today. Listen to Psalm 25, verses 4, 5, 8, 9, and 10. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Lead me in your truth and teach me. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant. Train yourself spiritually so that you know God rather than just knowing about God. So that you work with Jesus rather than just working for him. So that the Holy Spirit isn't some remote force moving in great historical events but a personal friend speaking inside your head as you listen train yourself spiritually so that you are not just knocked about by life's events but have a perspective an understanding of what God is doing has done and what he's about to do in your corner of the world train yourself spiritually so that your life makes sense even if it's painful and demanding so that your life counts for something with lasting effects and enduring relationships. Isn't that what every human wants? To be connected to something bigger than ourselves? To make a difference? To be able to hold firm amid the riptides tides of fashion and prejudice and public panic? To find and keep my place? To play my part, large or small, and in the end to hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Spiritual training means running to win the race, not just to stumble across the finish line, but to win it. Spiritual training means to count the cost of following Jesus and be able to pay it steadily in your life and disciplines. Spiritual training means to wrestle with God until dawn breaks and you see his face and live. Your spiritual workout awaits you today and every day. Amen.